0: What's up, everybody? This is Fred Ricciani of TSC News here with my old friend, Michael Iliano. For any longtime TSC listeners and in the past readers, you may know Mike as our former NBA analyst. He wrote some pretty informative and at times controversial articles, such as the top 50 NBA players of all time Michael Jordan versus LeBron, Jordan versus Kobe, among many other pieces of great work. And now, Michael's involved as the GM of the popular Team 23 in TBT, the basketball tournament, which you may have seen air on ESPN the last couple of years. He's here to talk about TBT, Team 23, and of course, everything going on in the NBA. Mike, what's going on, my man? How you doing? I'm doing okay. It's getting a little bit colder. You're in nice, warm Arizona. I'm supremely jealous of you, but other than that, I can't complain. <laughs>
1: yep. It's basketball season again. It never stops.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, Mike, before we get to everything going on in the NBA, I did mention the TBT. Can you tell fans a little bit about that that might not be familiar with it?
1: Uh, Basically, the TBT stands for the Basketball Tournament, Simple title. It was founded by John Muger and his best friend Dan Friel. Uh, the concept started where it was a winner take all $500,000 mo- money tournament. That was 2014. I got wind of it uh, in 2015. I heard about it. At first, I thought it was fake. I'm like, ah, this can't be real. You know, they upped the price to a million dollars. And I, I thought to myself, I'm like, ah, I, you know, I, I just don't know. Then I found out it was real. The games were going to be on ESPN and ESPN two. So I decided to throw my hat in the ring with a lot of the guys that I know. Well, out of 97 teams, we were the we were the 13 seed in our region, and we made it all the way to the championship, only to lose by two points to a team called Overseas Elite, who ended up winning it again. This past year so they've now collected three million dollars in two years so we were kind of like this cinderella story
0: you guys were and and you i'd say you still are because you're you're a bunch of guys that kind of overcame the odds in in your own respective lives and did your thing came together nearly won a million dollars in the inaugural tbt and you're a guy that i've known for a long time and i've always said mike get involved in basketball, get involved in personnel decisions, get involved in the NBA or any kind of other league. And for years and years, I bugged you to do it. And you're like, eh, maybe, eh, maybe. What made you (laughs) finally decide to get involved and do a hell of a job with Team 23? Because Team 23 was my own creation. You know, I, I never really
1: wanted to work for anyone else in any sort of in corporate environment. You know, if you can't called me and be like, oh, here's a job on ESPN. I'd be like, eh. Like, it's not that interesting to me. You know, this is a creative process. And now I'm kind of turning Team 23 into a nonprofit, and it's kind of morphed into its own thing through popularity. So you know how it is. When you create something, it means, like, a hundred times more.
0: That is true. That That is certainly true. And with Team 23... This is your first gig as far as being a GM. I know you've kind of worked a little bit as far as scouting goes. And even before you got involved in making personnel decisions, I know you've always been really good at evaluating talent. I'm an armchair quarterback, right? I'm sitting around. I could tell the Sixers or another team how to make their personnel decisions. But on the inside, it's a lot lot different. What are some differences that you see on the inside that you didn't notice on the outside?
1: Uh, I think you have to have a game plan. I think a lot of GMs, they don't have game plans, you know, especially in the NBA. The, the NBA's moniker is, you know, you draft guys based on potential and then you develop them, you know, especially now guys come out of college one year. It's like you're dealing with a 19-year-old kid. I mean, remember how you were mentally at 19 years old. I mean, think about these guys with their handed. I think that... Veterans are completely undervalued. You know, guys who have have been through wars. Like you just see the situation with Jonathan Simmons. You know, for the Spurs, he's 27 years old. I mean, he looked phenomenal on opening night because that guy, he's battle tested. Some guys they don't they don't peak until they're 27, 28. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes the NBA makes is they're so into development that they don't realize there's a lot of great players that kind of pass them up because of this and it hurts the product of the league
0: and you you would think too with the d league and it looks like they're going to be going towards this direction anyway but you would think they'd use the d league as you know development i mean that's what the d league is for it's to develop players so if you have a draft pick and you want somebody to make an immediate impact I mean, wouldn't you look at some veteran players or wouldn't you be open to using some players that maybe kind of slip through the cracks, like, like that guy who's 27 years old, 28 years old, maybe somebody that's a little bit younger that's had international experience. Why do you feel like there's such a stigma when it, when it comes to veteran players or guys that maybe don't necessarily fit right away?
1: Well, like I said, certain guys, they just develop later. Uh, I think the, the developmental league... One agent called it the redheaded stepchild to the old CBA. Like it's just the the developmental league. It really kind of serves no purpose. You know, we're we're all pretending that it does because all of these guys get on the job training, right? Mm -hmm. The purpose that the developmental league serves is just a thirty thousand dollar a year paycheck for guys who need it, (laughs) and and a lot of those guys are just lifetime D League guys. And most of the really good Americans know that I could go to Europe and make six figures or I can stay here and play in the D-League and make nothing. I mean, that's a that's a no-brainer. You go to Europe, you know, in a heartbeat. So what are you really getting out of the D-League? Like, it's not quality basketball. You know, they're not sending down young guys the way they do in the minors in baseball. You know, they say they do, but... I mean, most of those guys, if they're going to play, they're just going to play on their pro team. So the, the D-League, it needs to change its format a little.
0: And is there a way immediately that it can change to make it better and actually make it more of kind of like an NBA junior, similar to college basketball or similar to one of the high-quality leagues, as opposed to being the redheaded stepchild? Or do you think it's just going to take time? I mean, is it as simple as say, hey, Increasing the the minimum salary and encouraging players to go to the D League as opposed to Europe, or is it going to take a lot more steps than that?
1: It, it I think, off the bat, it takes a few things. Off the bat, one thing they're doing right now is they're trying to get every NBA team its own D League affiliate. You know, for a while, there were like four teams that would share one D League team. So, so Adam Silver is making the right moves as far as expanding the D League in that sense. But to your point, you brought up a great point. You do have to pay them a little more. I mean, if you want quality Americans to play there, I mean, you don't have to pay them, you know, seven figures. But with the NBA's new TV deal, if you were to offer guys 80% of what they make in Europe, but they have a chance now to live in the States, I think you'd be surprised how many guys would – just want to be home instead of in a, in a foreign country.
0: Oh, I, I agree totally because I've talked to athletes before that have played internationally in you know, a variety of sports and they say, okay, it's great. You know, we get paid well. You know, we get, we get our food paid for, travel, a lot of accommodations. But at the end of the day, especially if you're from the States, it's not home. At the end of the day, you, you yeah. want to be home. You know, first couple of weeks you're playing in Europe, it's like, oh, this is great. The next couple weeks, it's like, man, I'm just, I'm just really homesick. I, I really do think that if they gave more incentive, it would encourage more people to play in the D-League. And in turn, if salaries were to increase, I don't think we've seen too many cases of this, but could you see some college players or potential college players say, you know what, I know I'm only going to play in college for one year. Why not get paid to do it and play one or two years in the D-League? Could you see any college players potentially doing that? You know,
1: I think that's a bridge that the NBA should consider crossing. I I don't think I'd have a problem with it as long as the NBA had a restriction. They they would tell college players, if you commit to doing this, you have to be there the whole year. We can't just bring you up. You know what I mean? And it would actually make the game more exciting. But part of the D-League's improvement, too, is the D-League has to get, if they're going to do something like that, now you kind of have to up you know, who guys are learning from. You know what I mean? You have to up your coaches at that point. You have have to up the whole game because you don't want just the developmental league to just be this open run.
0: Right. Now, as far as TBT goes, you guys have high-quality players that have played in the NBA before, at times have currently played in the NBA, as well as people that slipped through the cracks, maybe played in Europe, Asia, all over the world. Do you see TBT in the future not only being a great place for players to apply their craft and make some money, but also serve as a jumpstart to an NBA career or maybe a restart to an NBA career?
1: Well, you know, it's hard for me to say yes or no, but I I will give you an example of something. Uh, The last two years, you know, one can argue, DJ Kennedy, I don't know if you remember him, he played at St. John's, he was arguably the best player in TBT. I mean, he he was definitely the MVP both years. And one can make a case that he got a tryout with the Nuggets because of TBT. I mean, he eventually, didn't, the Nuggets ended up cutting him, and he'll be fine. He'll go over in Europe, and he'll make a decent amount of money. So to answer your question, I think it's already happened.
0: So I mentioned it before. Uh, I hate to bring it up, but you did get so close to winning that million dollar prize a, a couple of years ago. And even though you guys lost, you still were able to make it back, get close. You did lose. You did get upset in the second ever TBT, but the fact that you guys were resilient enough to qualify, get a ton of fan votes, a ton of fan support, uh, d- definitely speaks volumes. Now, For those that don't know, I'll I'll just mention this real quick. You overcame cancer. You overcame a lot of of issues to get to a certain point. It, It was tough for you. Much respect to you. I know you don't like to bring it up too much. And I know your players in turn have also overcome a lot in their respective lives, professionally and personally. As somebody that's in that management position, in terms of not only recruiting players, but motivating players, how much work is it to... Go through all that you guys have been through to come back and to say, you know what, let's try again next year as opposed to throwing in the towel.
1: Uh, well, it's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really pay to own this like an, like an NBA owner. I kind of created it, and it morphed into its own thing. And I'd be foolish not to embrace this every year for the rest of my life. Like, I mean, all you got to do is win the tournament once. And I think we're eight and two overall in our two years doing TBT, we've won 80% of our games, which, and and the team that beat us this past year was the university of Colorado alumni. They ended up going to the championship. I knew the minute they beat us that they were going to make a deep run. So we lost to two really quality teams. So, in in a in a sense, I'm playing with the lottery ticket. Why would I not do this? I gotta say this though, and I tell people this all the time. You know, I was sitting there, I was watching the the Cavs Warriors game seven. You know, the Warriors they won 73 games and they they lost. We all know how that played out. In my mind, losing that million dollars is way harder, because those guys are worth so much money. They go to Aruba, they de- they decompress. You know they go to Vegas they can do whatever they want. their lives are built that way. The guys that I had they needed that money and it came out in their play. you know they have families to support it's it was so heartbreaking in that sense that it's very hard for me to sympathize with pros now when they lose because there is so much money in the pro game that I just I, I look at it different after experiencing what I experienced.
0: And at the end of the day, you know, you're paid to make those shots. You are you are paid to it's, win the big games, and especially with, in the Warriors' case. I mean, my God, they, they only lost <laughs> nine games all regular season. I, and I think I don't have the number in front of me. Did they lose nine postseason games? I and mean, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, let's transition to NBA here since we're on this topic. How does a team break the 96 Bulls regular season win record? go to the postseason, and fail so miserably. By their standards, by the way. By their standards. But before we get into that, I do want to make a reference
1: that no one talks about when they talk about breaking the 96 Bulls record. The 96 Bulls were trying to break 70, all right? That was their goal. Their goal was not to win 73 or 74. Once they broke 70... They rested guys, lost two meaningless home games late in that year. I think they lost, I think out of their 10 losses, 7 or 8 of them were by like 5 points or less. One can make the case, the Bulls could have been 75 and 7 that year. So, let's be real clear, when you don't care of the final 6 games after you won 70 does that 72 and that 73 really have a difference? Like the Warriors, it took everything they could. It took the last game of the season. You know, I give them a ton of credit. But if you know the NBA and you knew that once the Bulls reached 70, the milestone was achieved, the bar was different for them. As far as them losing in the playoffs, you know, credit to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean <laughs> – I don't know why anybody ever doubts LeBron James. I really don't. I don't get it anymore. They got to let that one go because he's just, he's hes the best that we've seen in a long time. I mean, they're a jump shooting team. You know, you're going to have games like they did in game seven where they don't shoot well. They haven't shot particularly well to begin this season. It's not like their team is this perfect machine. They're just a the team that makes threes at such an efficient rate, and they pass the ball so well that no one's really figured it out yet. Slowly, teams are figuring it out, though.
0: Well, I think in the case of LeBron James, I think a lot of people for a while, until this Cleveland win, kind of looked at him more like the Peyton Manning of the NBA, a a great player, a guy that always gets in the dance, but a guy that perhaps at this stage of his career should have had more than two or three championships. And I think that's why he gets a lot of criticism. Obviously, you know, the Jordan comparisons, the, the marketing machine. Uh, but I'll tell you, man, it, it is amazing that this team was able to come back from being down 3-1 to win the NBA title. And for, for him, for a guy that's been ridden so many times by the Cavs and the Heat and the Cavs, again, for him to still be playing at a high level, I mean, it just speaks volumes about his conditioning and his talent.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know if you saw what they said during the broadcast. Yes, yesterday, they were saying that he has the body of a 19 year old. He spends like a million dollars a year just on his body alone. So it doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. I, the, the thing that bothers me about when people criticize him, you know, you always see these stupid memes like, oh, Jordan, it took, you know, he got six rings and six tries. You know, Kobe won the majority of his finals. What difference does that make? Why would you penalize LeBron James for getting further in the playoffs? There's been times where Jordan didn't reach the finals and he got knocked out by the Pistons. Like, you can't penalize a guy for going further. I mean, does that make any sense to you?
0: No, not really, and and I think too. It's I, I know this might be kind of a bad comparison because Aaron Rodgers at the moment isn't having a, a great season in the NFL. But I look at Aaron Rodgers as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time already, and statistically, you look at his stats. I mean, prior to this season, he's he's played the quarterback position better than most people in NFL history. He's only got one Super Bowl. He's only got one Super Bowl appearance. It's a team game. Am I going to penalize him for that? He's his team no. is always in the mix. I mean that's not going to take away the fact that he is a Hall of Famer and one of the all-time greats. And it's the same thing with LeBron. Granted, there's less people playing in basketball than there are in the NFL. But you get know what I'm saying? It's, it's a team sport. And he's a guy that throughout his career, you know, he's playing with some great talent now. He plays with some great talent with Miami. But for a lot of those years, he's had to carry some of those teams. You know, he carried an older Dwayne Wade. You know, he carried a team in 2007 that had the likes of Eric Snow and Larry Hughes. I mean, come on. I mean, how many players would make the most out of that kind of talent? I mean, Alan Iverson maybe comes to mind, but I mean, very few guys. It's, it's, it's crazy.
1: You know, what's really crazy to think about is, you know, we're always complaining, oh, the East is so weak, the East is so weak. It kind of looks that way, but it really isn't. It's mainly because they're just a shoe in whatever team he's on for the finals it's just that's a testament to how good he is that you can just pencil them in in the finals and why would this year be any different i mean do you really see anybody in the eastern conference winning four out of seven games versus them
0: Uh, man i i really don't Uh, i really really don't it's i think had the heat been healthy last year i think they could have given the Cavs a run for their money but that was last year as far as this year goes. I, I really don't see anybody in the East challenging them.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are teams that will win a couple of games here and there. Yeah. Someone recently said to me on a Facebook thread, they're like, well, the Raptors won two games. Yeah, but why don't you look at the Raptors' four losses versus the Cavs? They lost like every game by like 18-plus points, and
0: it was a couple of 30-point blowouts there. I mean, the Cavs were just far superior than
1: the Raptors.
0: So I guess as far as your Eastern Conference evaluation, it's the Cavs and everybody else.
1: Yeah, it's been LeBron James's team and everybody else for the past, how many years now? Five almost, or six almost, seasons? Almost 10
0: years, if you really think about it.
1: Well, not really, because when you had Boston in their prime, you could make the case that Boston could beat anybody. But now that there's no Boston, I mean, I do think the Pacers are probably the closest thing that can be competitive. I think over the the length of the season, you're going to see the Pacers have a really good team. But beyond that, I mean, everyone else is just, they, they got too many
0: holes. And that is true. Now, on the Western Conference side of things, I'm very interested in hearing your take here. Because on paper, it should be the Warriors, They just got Kevin Durant, who has been widely criticized for signing with his rival team because of the fact that he was leading 3-1 with OKC Thunder against the Warriors, looking like he was going to go to the NBA Finals for the first time since 2012. And then they lost, and Durant joined the Warriors. And on top of that, there were multiple reports that he was in communication with the Warriors during that time, perhaps prior during that time as well, with them trying to recruit him to the fray. So, my,
1: Are we going to do this? Or are we going to get into Kevin Durant right now? You know what? Let, let's,
0: let's, let's, let's not wait. Let's get into Kevin Durant okay. and, and, and then the rest of the Western Conference. What are your thoughts right. on Durant going to the Warriors? And what are your thoughts on the Warriors' immediate future?
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> I was this close and just not watching the NBA. But there's part of me that's like, I'd love to see them be a train wreck and fall apart.
0: Okay, okay, first off first lie. off first off, let me interrupt you real quick and let me just say that a few years ago, you were a staunch defender of LeBron James going to the Miami Heat even though he was widely criticized. Okay. So I would like to while you're making your explanation here, I would like to also hear you elaborate on why you supported LeBron back in the day, but why you are not a fan of this particular move by Durant. Okay.
1: Hey, there's a huge difference and when you look at it on the surface, it's similar. Here's the thing, though, it, uh, and this is where you kind of need someone who's an expert of the NBA, who understands complex economics of the NBA. The way that the cap was when LeBron James did that and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, the cap was in a position where not only did they have to take you know, their pay cuts but they had to sign nine minimum veterans, okay? So, yeah, you could do that. You could put those three guys together, and but now you're going to be stuck with nine veteran minimum deals, and you had aging Mike Bibbys and aging Ilgalskis, and it cost them. In the finals, it cost them. What happened this year, not to mention the Heat were not a great team the year before. So, you know, adding a superstar player to an okay team is one thing. Adding a superstar player to a team that won 73 games is a whole other animal. I mean, not to mention what happened is not as much Kevin Durant's fault as much as it's the NBA's fault. The NBA was going to see a spike in the cap because of all the TV revenue. And what they should have done for competitive balance purposes was close this short loophole because once the rest of the league catches up, there's no way the Warriors are going to be able to keep all four of those guys. There's just, there's no way. So this might last two years before they have to make a decision that one of those four have to go. And I think that's what bothers me is the economics of it is that he took advantage of a loophole. He decided that I don't want to be a competitor anymore because let's be honest. That's really what this is. Like, you know, don't you want to beat the best? Isn't there something to beating the best? I mean, I, I even talked to Dobbin White, who plays on Team 23 for me, and he's by far one of the best players I've seen in a long time. He says to me, he goes, I don't understand that. He goes, I'm a competitor. I want to beat the best. You know, especially when you're getting paid that much money, you already have life set. Like, find some other way to get motivated. So I, I just think it, going to a team that already won 73 games, it's no different than Hakeem Olajuwon going to the Bulls in the mid-90s. like It just doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And and if you look at the, the Cavs and, and the Heat and that whole situation years ago, I mean I, looking back, I remember I didn't really have a problem with LeBron James leaving, just kind of the way he left and kind of making it public with the decision. But you look back, I mean, the guy is a marketing machine. He was really young at the time. I mean, Look, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody's immature, but you know, really looking back at it, I mean, you were right. The Heat weren't a good team the previous season. You know, a lot, a lot of people were starting to write Dwayne Wade off. Chris Bosh, much respect to him and everything he's going through right now, was unproven as a big time player. He was kind of a big, big fish in a small pond. There was no guarantees that those three guys getting together were going to result in championships. If you actually talk to people that knew basketball, but they made it work. They went to four straight finals. They made everybody around them better, and LeBron James emerged those four seasons in Miami as undoubtedly the best player on the team. Whereas Kevin Durant's going there, and you can make the argument Kevin Durant's not even the third best player on that team. I mean, you have Curry, well, you have Thompson, and I, you have Draymond. I think Green. only an idiot makes that argument. I think Kevin Durant is the best player on that team. Really, but Kevin Durant? Ha- oh, better, but, better know. than, better than um Dur- uh, Sorry, better than Curry. Yeah. I mean, to to me,
1: I get what Stephen Curry is. He's the best shooter I've ever seen. But from an overall standpoint, Durant rebounds. He defends. I mean, he had had a great block on Anthony Davis last night. Durant, I think you could do more with Durant, to be honest with you. And for them to to have success, he kind of has to take this, you know, this opportunity (laughs) And sees it, and he, he really didn't, you know, as much as everyone wants to complain about Westbrook, you know, he seems passive at times. Like, it's like, oh, I don't want to test Russell's personality. So now he's going to have to deal with bigger personalities in Golden State. So if he thinks that he left one situation to not deal with it over here, just wait till they lose a couple of games and, and you'll see.
0: Now, Clay Thompson has been on record saying, I ain't sacrificing bleep when it comes to sharing the ball with Kevin Durant and his respective teammates. Somebody's going to have to make some sacrifices. I don't think it should be the former MVP. So who do you see this season making the sacrifice to get the Golden State Warriors back to the promised land? Uh,
1: I don't know. I don't know. Okay, better, be qu- better question.
0: Who should? <laughs> Who should sac- make it more of a sacrifice in order to let Kevin Durant excel and lead this team to the finals?
1: Actually, I, I don't like the question, to be honest with you, because I think that they could all produce. I think the biggest thing that they have to worry about is the team that they had last year had such cohesive chemistry. You know, guys like Spates and Barbosa and, and Bogut and Barnes that their bigger problem is they don't really have a backup point guard. They, you, you can't play Ian Clark like in in big playoff games. Their their length and shot blocking has deteriorated big time. So if you're uh, if you're like me and you don't want the Warriors to win, these are positives to look at because they got severely out rebounded against the Spurs. They had yeah, one game, no need to panic, but in the playoffs, you know, if you're not hitting your shots then the small ball is not going to work. So I think those are bigger issues than worrying about which of those four is going to take a backseat because I don't think any of them are.
0: So now on the flip side, you have Russell Westbrook as the undeniable number one guy, the alpha dog in OKC. There's a lot of people predicting that he could average a triple-double, that he could win the MVP, and that he could take OKC as far as the Western Conference Finals. Where do you see oh, OKC ending up? <laughs> really?
1: <laughs> They're not going to the Western Final. They, wait, you're telling me he's going to play an 82 game season? All right, he's going to get he's going to play through two rounds of the playoffs. He's going to take 30 to 35 shots a game, and you're going to win playing that basketball? No, <laughs> no way. Like, th- there's no way that that's happening. They would need to make some sort of deal at the deadline. They're not even close to being a contender in the Western Conference.
0: Wow. Okay, so knowing you, let me guess. Golden State, I think you'd say the Spurs are are certainly contenders, as they are every season. And as far as the third... (laughs) Are we going to do this thing with the Clippers? Are we going to do this thing that we do every year with them? I was actually going to say Portland, but make a case for the Clippers if you want. No,
1: you know... As as nice as Portland is, and they do have arguably maybe the best backcourt after Curry and Thompson, if Blake Griffin was healthy in that series and Chris Paul was playing healthy, Portland doesn't stand a chance against the Clippers. But the Clippers' problem is they're just their own worst enemy. You know, the other day, they went into Portland the other day and they won, and you heard Chris Paul after the game. Oh, we know that we're hated. We want to embrace that. You see, they're too worried about things like that. And they're kind of known as the crybabies of the league. Just go out and play. I I think the Clippers, it's almost like they have a self-defeating mechanism that comes out at some point.
0: Well, Charles Barkley has always said that they have the toughness of a flea because their toughest player is Chris Paul, who's only six foot, and, and he's insinuated multiple times that you know they're they're mentally weak. Now, a lot of people have gotten on him for that criticism, but you see time and time again in the playoffs, they they melt down.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't want to like not Chris Paul because Chris Paul is actually one of my favorite players. I I do agree with Charles in that sense that Chris Paul is he's he's tough. As far as you know. The rest of the team, they, they, they've they always had a weak bench, and it really got exposed a couple of years ago against the Rockets. You know, this year the bench is a little better. I'm not a big proponent of guys like Jamal Crawford. You know, they, I think those guys, long-term, they hurt you more than they help you, but some will argue that with me. So it's it they have holes. They're good, but they have holes.
0: So if it's not L.A. and if it's not Portland, who would you say outside of Golden State and San Antonio is going to emerge as maybe that dark horse contender in the Western Conference?
1: Well, it, it is L.A. <laughs> they just they just have less holes than everybody else in the West. I mean, I, I don't think anybody else is really in that conversation. I mean... I'll never support a team that has a Mike D'Antoni system unless it has Steve Nash. Like <laughs> if you have Steve Nash and D'Antoni, you could survive and be good. So there's the Rockets are pretending. That Mark Cuban, he doesn't seem to understand how to put actual teams together with chemistry. He just loves to just sign any free agent out there and overpay them. So I don't, I don't believe in the Mavs. I mean, I think the the Jazz are an upcoming team. They just got to get healthy first. One of their biggest problems was they didn't have a point guard for a while. Now they have George Hill. But, you know, it's pretty much a a three-horse race in the West and a four-horse race in the whole
0: league. Is there any player that you could see emerging as one of the top ten best in the NBA? I have a feeling you might say Anthony Davis, but he's a guy that people have pegged as a potential top ten player for – the last couple of years is there anybody that's truly under the radar that you see emerging this season
1: uh you mean someone who hasn't already shown signs of like greatness maybe I mean,
0: somebody cause, has, cause, maybe, maybe somebody has shown signs but doesn't get the media love that an anthony davis or a carl anthony towns has gotten uh
1: i don't know that one i gotta think about
0: Okay, well I, what, what
1: I, I, I would actually say Carl Anthony Towns, to be oh. honest with you.
0: Okay. And for anybody I, that doesn't watch Minnesota Games and doesn't have NBA league pass like you, why would you say Carl Anthony Towns?
1: Because there's nothing on the floor he can't do. It's very similar to Anthony Davis. He can block shots, he can rebound like a beast, he can step out and make shots. I mean, he could play pick and roll. He's just he's complete. You know, he, he him and Anthony Davis are ushering in the new type of great big men. And playing under Tom Thibodeau, there's no way he's not gonna get better. Because he's gonna learn team defensive concepts. He's gonna have Tom Thibodeau's hoarse voice screaming at him every game. <laughs> it, I can't I can't imagine him not improving unless he gets hurt.
0: Do you see this as the year where Minnesota finally returns to their playoffs? I feel like the, the last few seasons, has been so many false starts. Oh, they got Ricky Rubio. Oh, they got this guy. Oh, Kevin Love is, is doing great. He's, he's playing amazing. They're finally going to get to the playoffs. And then every year down the stretch, just whether it be injuries or bad luck or bad player, what have you, they're out of the tournament again. Do you see this finally being the year where they qualify?
1: I think they'll be in the race. I don't know if they'll make it. But I definitely think, come Game 70, they'll be in the conversation. I just think Tom Thibodeau—that much of Tom Thibodeau. I, trust me, as a Bulls fan, because Fred Hoiberg drives me insane. I want to punch my TV at times. How much I miss Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> and it's, at- it's not even—he's—it's leaps and bounds how much they learn from him.
0: And obviously, for the Bulls, it is unfortunate to some Bulls fans like yourself that Tom Thibodeau is no longer with Chicago. They got Fred Hoiberg, they got D Wade, they got Rondo. They're a new look team. Do you see the Bulls getting to the playoffs and making some noise? Sure, but <laughs> can they
1: beat Cleveland? No. Yeah, the the Bulls the Bulls are an enigma because they have. Three guys in Rondo, Wade, and Butler that have kind of been through wars, and you can't really underestimate that. I mean, Vegas had their win toll at like 38, and I was like, "That's a little low." I mean, they're not that bad; they're, they're probably a 45 win team easily, but they they have some holes too. Uh, mainly, it's Fred Hoiberg. Fred Hoiberg, <laughs> he's just he's his own worst enemy.
0: So you, do you think Tibbs got a bad rap because everybody said, oh, he wears down his players, oh, he's, he's a great coach, but, he, but he's somebody that you don't want to trust with your superstar because you know, they're going to get worn down. He doesn't know when to rest. But you, you look at Derrick Rose, you look at Noah. I mean, those guys have been injury-prone for a long time. They definitely aren't the same players. I mean, can you really put all of that on Tibbs? No, that's
1: ridiculous. Like, t- Some guy's body is built like glass, and like, and it's some Thibodeau's fault. I mean, Tom Thibodeau's job as a coach is to get in there and max his players. And trust me, I watched Bulls games for the last five years. There's been plenty of times that the Bulls have overused their bench. I I just think that that's – it's nonsense. It makes no sense.
0: It's funny. you know. In a way, everybody was complaining about Tibbs. In a lot of ways, people were complaining about Tom Coughlin with the Giants. Oh, he's the problem. You know, He's, he's like again, most of these players, they, they, get, they get rid of both guys. And then you look at these two teams, the Giants, and you, and you look at the, the Bulls, and it's like, well, I don't think the head coach was the problem. You know, there was another team
1: in, in sports that did the same thing, the San Francisco 49ers. In fact, if you actually mirror the 49ers over the last couple of years, and the Bulls, there's a lot of similarities in the way that they treated their coach. You know, they had their shots to win. They, they couldn't do it. It's it just it's what happens in sports. I mean, it's not a knock on Tom Coughlin or Tom Thibodeau or any of these guys. They're just – sometimes the, the team just wants to move on and they make an excuse for it.
0: Yeah, they the, the coach is going to get the blame. You can't always fire the players. You can trade them, but – Usually, it's the coach and the GM are, that are first that are going to go. You're in Arizona. You got the Suns who have had some bad luck post Steve Nash. Do you see him getting back to relevance anytime soon? No. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> no. I my best friend he's, he's got sun season tickets, so we'll go to games. I mean, they they have talented guys. They, I, I like Devin Booker. I mean, I I like T.J. Warren when he was at NC State. You know, last night was a good example of just how young the Suns are. They had the Thunder beat. They had them on the ropes, and they can't finish it. They're kind of like in that spot the Sixers are in where it's like you're young, you're talented, you'll see flashes of what these guys can do. But it's not going to come together, not this year, for either of those teams.
0: So before we let you go, there's some great analysis, by the way, on the, on the NBA. For any players that may be listening to this, or any fans that want to check out TBT, maybe they know a player, somebody that's really talented in college or post-college that's looking to continue their career, pre- progress their career, how do they get involved in TBT?
1: Are you talking about from a player standpoint? Yes. Or from, Okay. From, from a player standpoint, uh, obviously, first, if you know a GM, I mean, with with me, I can't tell you how many people begged me to play. And, like, you know, if it was up to me, I could make five teams and give everyone a chance. But I can't really do that. They could always just create a profile and enter the free agent pool. And, you know, you'd be surprised who gets picked up via free agency. I mean, I, I actually made an attempt last year to pick up DJ Strawberry, Daryl Strawberry's son. And then he ended up getting hurt and backing out but he was in the free agent pool. So that's probably the best way to go about it. And the tournament is open to anyone, like you don't have to be a high level player to play in it. I mean, you have to be a, a, a good player to win it, but it's, it's kind of this open tournament to prove that, you know, there's a lot of great players out there.
0: Now, if you're a fan that wants to support their team in their area, maybe they find out they have a TBT team. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, they're in Arizona, and they say, holy crap, I just listened to this interview. Team 23 is based in Arizona. How can they support you guys? Well, the, one
1: of the beauties about TBT is the fans can win money. And this is, like, one of the best marketing things I have ever heard anybody do. The way we get into the tournament is through fan votes and fan support. So if you go online and you vote for us, and then you get other people to vote for us through your link, you get points. And whoever gets the most points, I think the top 100 point getters get money. Last year, uh, the, the, pro, the fan, top fan prize was $20,000. This, the next four people got ten thousand dollars, and then all the way down to like a thousand, the top one hundred people got paid i mean ten twenty thousand dollars <laughs> and all you're doing is just voting for a team uh, I mean all they ask for is your email and for you to create a login it's not like they ask for credit cards or anything like that. I think it's insane that fans aren't involved in this
0: yeah i mean you could you could certainly win some money and The games itself are pretty entertaining. I mean, do you guys have any specific locations where you guys play the games? Does it revolve around a certain number of cities every year?
1: Uh, It does. I I know that the basketball tournament is very partial to the location in Philadelphia. They do the each region there, and they've moved the Sweet 16 to Philadelphia. Uh, We've been playing in L.A. in the West the last couple of years. Uh, at one point we played in Chicago and then the finals have always been at Fordham university in the Bronx, which is this beautiful campus, Denzel Washington, alma mater. It's, it's a great location. So, uh, and, and I think the South region, the first year, I forgot where it was the first year, I think it was in Atlanta and then it was in Charlotte was in Charlotte this past year. So they're all over the place. You get a chance to travel.
0: So with you making preparations for next season for Team 23 to hopefully win that million-dollar prize, five years from now, where do you see TBT going? Because right now it's on ESPN. It's been on ESPN2, ESPN3. It's gotten a lot of coverage. I believe Bill Simmons even bet on one respective team this past season, which is pretty huge if you know anything about Bill Simmons and his stature in the sports world. Five years from now, where do you see TBT going and where do you hope to see it?
1: Well, I do know that two years ago when we were in the championship, like our, our ratings beat like the Pan Am games, if I'm not mistaken. And then last year, their ratings beat the NBA Summer League. So people are choosing to watch TBT over the NBA Summer League because a lot, there's so many college alma maters in it That it's kind of like, oh, I remember Hakeem Warwick and, you know, Eric Dievendorf at Syracuse. So it's kind of like you're getting a chance to watch all those guys play again. Uh, I think the tournament prize money is going to double. I mean, nothing has indicated that that's not going to change. I mean, uh, assuming that they're going to get more sponsors. You know, Jack Link's beat jerky was a big sponsor for them. And then this past year, they got Kumo Tires. If you just look at the way it's going, their expansion is at a a rapid rate that in five to ten years, whatever vision they had at the beginning, you'd have to ask them that. It'll probably be met.
0: Now, before we let you go, for anybody that wants to find you online, Team 23 online, TBT online, where can they find them?
1: Uh, There's a Team 23 Facebook page. You like us on Facebook. I mean, you could always look on thebasketballtournament.com and just get an indication of the type of players that are playing in this tournament. You know, we we have a page on there as well.
0: Awesome. Mike, I appreciate the time, man. Let's get you back on soon. Definitely not – let's not wait a few years this time. (laughs) All right, no problem. Thanks, man. All right, take it easy, Fred.